0: Everyone good morning and how are you? We want to say hello to you. I want to say hello to those watching the live stream at home. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the ministers here a few announcements for us. And I think over the next eight days, we have something for everybody. The first is ladies, women, tomorrow evening in the student wing. Women's ministry, they're sponsoring a movie night. You can see the film right there on the slide. So whether you've been part of our women's ministry in the past or you're like, you know what? It's been a while since I've been connected, especially over the last year and a half we've had. This is a great, you know, unintimidating, non-committal thing just to come be a part of, maybe meet some new people. But we'll be here tomorrow night in the student wing next door. If you're a woman, lady, all that, you are invited. We would love to see you see you. Next Sunday night, this is for the whole family. We are having a family worship night to kind of kick off the entire school year. I think school starts on Tuesday here in Spring, at least this week anyway. Uh, so Nathan and Tammy, for a few months, have been planning a very interactive, special, meaningful night of worship again for the entire family. So if you are part of family or you are someone who's a fan of families, but maybe your family lives elsewhere, anyone who supports or loves families or part of one are invited to that. They'll be in this room next Sunday night. The info's on there, and you can visit the website as well. Last piece, talking to the men now. Also, if you are either unconnected or you are connected, but you know what? You just like eating food. We're having a men's backyard barbecue in two Tuesdays on the 24th. There's some information there. But we would love to see every man be a part of this, especially we kind of kick off some new men's groups in the fall, just kind of going down the road of just really deepening uh, uh, fellowship and relationships among the men of Southwest. So please mark your calendar for that. Uh, I'm excited for it. We'll be excited to see you there. And if you're planning on coming, invite a guy who even does know a lot of people at southwest so mark your calendar august 24th for that outside of that uh, we've been kind of uh, talking about student ministry the last several weeks uh, even last week my lovely wife actually was we were talking about her volunteering in student ministry and she looked good doing it i think i might add so there's that um, but uh, let me just say, if you are even lightly curious about what it means to be involved in student ministry, um, I'll always say, even though I don't, uh, my title is not student minister anymore. I think I will always say my time in student ministry was the most meaningful ministry that I've that I've done. And uh, my wife and I, we volunteer on Wednesday nights for the junior hires. We're small group leaders there, so we're big believers. So something I know, especially about those who are considering volunteering, they're like, you know what? I just don't know if I'll fit. I don't feel qualified. Uh, Turns out, if you look through scripture, a lot of times, God rarely calls qualified people. Have you noticed this? In fact, it's usually the unqualified says, you know what? I think you have something to offer someone. So I always said be the person who you needed when you were that age. So I'll say this, that we're trying to make it as easy as possible, even if you are lightly curious about what would it mean to spend time with middle schoolers or high school students. By following this, you are not committing to anything. We'll just kind of follow up to you and say, hey, we'll see if this is a fit. So open up the app. There's a volunteer tab. and You scroll down, check and submit. The student ministry section we will be in touch. So please, please, please consider that. We're fans of student ministry here at Southwest.
1: So You know, I work 10 hours a day, so by the time I come home, I'm exhausted. It's not that I don't want to answer questions about the house room, I really just don't want to answer questions about anything. But, you know, you may just be shutting your mind off, um, but it can feel like you're shutting your partner off as well. Again, that's a caution area. And just as a point of interest, when you speak that way, David, you're really deprioritizing your teammate. Excuse me? It's called crossing emotional boundaries, or more commonly, bulldozing. And it's ugly. Ronnie, when you spoke earlier of... Let me just find it in my notes here. (laughs) there it is Uh, you said we make it through things well together that doesn't sound very fun you don't want to look back and say I made it through my life we want to enjoy our projects enjoy our work week we want to enjoy our lives celebrate our lives and all this talk about my project and his work and my this and his that and mine and his and mine and his it's where's us in all that where's our journey I don't hear it and it's because it's not there. Listen, I'm not saying that that there's not some really stressful times sometimes because there is, but it works for us. Does it? I don't know. Oh gosh, I don't know you guys. There's no us, there's no we. You two could be perfect strangers. I think the one thing that we can agree on is that you guys should be doing a lot better than just works. I'm pretty sure that's why you're here. Oh, so, that's it. Great, great job, everybody. Thank you.
2: Nana. Well, maybe you can relate to this couple from the movie Couples Retreat. And possibly you've just been trying to make a relationship work instead of having a growing, thriving relationship. And by the way, if you're a middle school student and you didn't see your cue, you can go ahead and go to class now. But as we talk about relationships today, we recognize that some relationships, and specifically some marriages, have taken a tough hit as a result of the pandemic and some of the challenges that we have faced during the past 18 months. For example, working from home presented the challenges of sharing living space and, and workspace and even adjusting to different approaches to how we go about our workday. For some of us who are still working from home, possibly you've felt that you've missed the alone time of the travel to and from work. Or maybe even the interaction with other coworkers at work. For others, possibly being around each other more has brought to the surface some problems in the relationship that while that in the past you formally ignored or maybe just tried to sweep under the rug, and yet now while sharing close quarters, which is the title of our message today, there's no avoiding the problems that exist. Now, other relationships in the past 18 months have had to deal with different perspectives or views concerning some of the hot button issues of our day, whether it's politics or the pandemic or what protective measures to take or not to take as a couple or as a family concerning COVID. Yes, those are matters that have created strife in our country, but we have to recognize that at times, those same issues can create tension in personal relationships. For some, you've possibly spent so much time together in the day-to-day work and life situations that you have failed to set aside time to celebrate and grow the relationship. Whether you can relate to all or one or possibly even none of the scenarios I just painted, I think we can all benefit today from setting aside some time to look at some biblical directives on what it means to have healthy relationships with others, with each other. For those who are married or in a committed relationship, let's especially take to heart the counsel of Scripture as we consider those relationships when we read these words from God's Word, found in Colossians chapter 3. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body you were called to live in peace, and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father." Wow, there's a lot in this passage. And there's a lot in this passage that applies to our relationships with each other, To our relationships with those that are closest and dearest to us, to our marriages, and to our families. And today we're going to talk specifically about the importance of applying these teachings in our marriage relationships, which is actually the the topic that, that is discussed immediately following the verses I read. But before we get into any of that, let's first pray that we can really take to heart this message today. That we can make some observations and that we can all do the hard work of applying it to our hearts, our lives, our relationships with others, and especially those of you who are married to your marriage. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can look to You as a, a God of love, a God of peace, a God who brings peace. We thank You, Father, that You sent Your Son to show us what it means to live a life of love. And yet, Father, we struggle. We confess to You, we struggle sometimes in putting this stuff into practice. And so I pray, Father, today as we try to unpack this rich passage in Colossians 3, that we can really do the hard work of self-evaluation. And that we can a- each ask ourselves, how, how am I doing in loving the people around me? Help us possibly see the things that we need to, to change and, and repent today. And help us put these things into practice so that we can strengthen our marriages, our homes, our relationships with others, our relationships with each other within the church. And I pray the end result of all that, Father, is that that the relationships, marriages, and our church relationships will all be stronger as a result of today. And Father, in that, we'll give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' your Son and our Lord, that we now pray. Amen. Well, first of all, there's a lot in this biblical text, and we're going to do our very best to try to unpack it here in the next 30 minutes or so. But uh, we're examining this passage that was written to early followers of Jesus in this city of Colossae. This city is is on the map. It's located in what's today modern-day Turkey. It was a city that was very influenced by Greek culture and the Roman Empire. Likewise, we have to recognize that we are influenced by 21st century culture and that we are very influenced by the American way of life. And yet, we like these first century followers of Jesus are called to be the holy People, he, God, loves. We talked a few weeks ago that to be holy, we're called to be to live holy or separate or distinct lives that are not defined by the culture and standards around us, but instead by God's love and God's standards of living. And in the next Three phrases within this biblical text, we see three specific imperatives or challenges that, that Christians are to apply to their relationships. Yet before we get into any of these practical imperatives or challenges from this text, let's first back up just a bit, look at the contextual basis of these Christian relationships and the Christian marriage that God has designed and why Christian relationships and why Christian marriages can be truly different than many of the relationships we've experienced in the past or even the relationships we see lived around us in our culture. Now earlier in this chapter, Paul, the writer of this letter, reminds the Christians the following in the very first four verses of this chapter. Since then you've been raised with Christ, Paul is reminding them and he's reminding us that the holy living we're called to live as Christians is only possible because we are made new in Christ or as this passage reads we have been raised with Christ the entire Christian faith is based on the on the Christian or the historical fact that Jesus of Nazareth lived on this earth. He he died on a cross, he was buried in a tomb, and on the third day he was raised from the dead. This is the very core teaching of Christianity. This is the very core belief of why we exist as a church. And this is what the believer experiences in baptism. And we were able to witness that last week when Donald Rainier and his daughter, Abby Rainier, were baptized into Christ. And here's some pictures to celebrate that. And in baptism, the believer is united with Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. And as I share with those who I have the privilege to baptize, they're not trusting the water, they're not trusting the person that's baptizing them, but instead they're trusting the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And they're trusting the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that that Spirit will enable them to live that new life, to live that life that's been raised to be different. Last week, I shared that following the service after having those two baptisms, I was going to simply stick around up front near the baptistry and And just be available if anybody wanted to talk to me about what it means to be baptized and and maybe how they've been considering taking that step and and I was thrilled I had some people come up and talk to me I had two people that say that you know they want to be baptized they're just trying to process it and think through it I had a third person email me during the week and saying you know I want to be baptized and, and, uh, and these people are, are make, thinking about making that decision real soon, and I'm excited about that. But, you know, there was such a response, I, I thought, I'm going to do that again this week, you know. <laughs> I, I'm really longing to help more and more people make that decision. And, in fact, we are maybe on to something, and, and I'm not going to be up here every week in the future because I miss hanging out and spending time with you in the lobby, but maybe we'll get a rotation of staff or elders that will just be available up front in the future so that if others are thinking about making that decision, we can try to make it as easy as possible for you to talk about that with someone else. A big reason that many struggle to victoriously live the Christian life and to embrace the attitudes and the virtues that are in this passage that we read as we started with is that That they've not yet experienced that spiritual rebirth that Jesus promised. This is the spiritual rebirth that's described in the passage here in Colossians 3, where a person puts to death the old life, and they're raised to live a new life in Christ. Now, earlier in this same passage in Colossians 3, there are two separate lists of vices that these Christians were called to put to death in their lives. Vices such as sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. And then he gives a second list of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. These sins which were prevalent back in the ancient world are are still prevalent in our world. They're still prevalent in our culture, and yet these are the very sins that destroy and sabotage relationships. For the married among us, are you and your spouse doing everything you can to put these things to death in your life? You see, it's key to having a strong, growing, healthy relationship, and you're not going to be able to do that until you put to death things like lust and anger and rage and slander and filthy language. Yet once there's repentance in our life, once we decide, listen, I want those things gone, I want those things put to death, and I I, I think it's important the way Scripture describes it, you don't just put them in hibernation, you put them to death. That's how the Bible calls us to, to make a break with the old. And yet once there's that break with the old, we're called to experience the new in that spiritual rebirth that Jesus provides. And in that, we're called specifically to put on the right clothes. Now, we have to acknowledge that there has been some tough things in the pandemic, but there's been some good things as well. One of the benefits is, for some is the flexibility to work from home. Some companies and businesses have have already transitioned back to the office, or maybe they're going to do so later this fall. Others have planned to continue to work from home uh, on a full-time basis. Of course, this means that that you can dress more casually, okay, as you're at the workplace. You just need to make sure when you get up to go to the printer, okay, or go get a cup of coffee, that you turn that camera off, okay? If, if If below the screen you're not dressed completely, okay, like this guy. Now, as I researched and worked on this message, as I thought specifically about marriages, you know, the the research and the data and the survey showed that some marriages have actually grown stronger during the past 18 months. And a good question for every married person here today is, how's your marriage? And how it compare to a year and a half ago before all the craziness in our world began? You know, my wife and I talked about that this past week. And we ask ourselves, are we stronger in our marriage or have we taken a step back? And we both concluded that we feel like we've grown closer and we've grown stronger over the past 18 months. And I'm grateful for that feel like I'm more in love with my wife now than I was before, you know, 2020 began. And I'm grateful for that. And yet the question that I want to ask you is, how about you? How's things going in your marriage? Or have you, during the midst of all the things that we've gone through, have you allowed yourself to let your guard down? Have you begun to take each other for granted? Specifically in this text, we're told in verse 12, you must clothe yourselves. You see, these are the right clothes to put on in relationships. You must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What would your relationships be like? What would my, all my relationships be like if we consistently clothed ourselves, really draped ourselves in these virtues—tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Are you putting on the right clothes in your relationships? Are you putting on the right virtues in your marriage? How would you rate yourself in these areas? One of the exercises that I do with engaged couples as I'm trying to prepare them for their big day and for their life together as husband and wife is I ask them to do a little evaluation on those five traits right there. And I ask them to do an exercise. First of all, I say, I want you to think about your fiance. Which of those five do you think is their strongest? Which of those five do you think they really excel in? Is it tender, heart, or mercy, or compassion, as some translations read? Is it kindness? Is it humility? Is it gentleness? Is it patience? And then I ask them to do the opposite for themselves. Which of these virtues do you need to give more attention to in your marriage or in your relationship? Now I know some of you, when you saw that list, you allowed your mind to go immediately to what your fiancé or what your spouse needed to work on. Some of you have already elbowed, you know, your spouse saying, did you see that word? I want to urge you to resist doing that, okay? And why do I do it the way I do with engaged couples? Why do I ask them, first of all, to praise their fiancé and which one they're the strongest, and which to, why do I ask them to evaluate which one they're the weakest? Because you see, the human tendency is to point out the weakness in the other, right? The human tendency is to see the flaw in the other. But here's the thing. I can't change my wife. I can't change her attitude, or I can't change even her actions. But there's one person I can change, with God's help and with God's Spirit, is me. I can make the decision, I'll make the change. And so instead of constantly looking at the other person saying, why don't they change, why don't you first start at home? And why don't you really give attention to praising the other for the areas that they are doing well? See, I think that's a better approach to relationships. You know, this weekend, after studying this Bible passage, preparing for for this message last week, I went home, and over the weekend my wife and I were doing a little bit of light, and I want to emphasize very light work in the backyard, and you know, just in the course of working together, I got a little bit snippy with her. Now, I know that none of you ever get snippy and your attitude toward your spouse. But I reacted. Later we went for a walk that evening and I, I had to apologize. I said, you know, Jane, here, you know, so often what I'm gonna preach on that week or the week before I'm tempted in. And I said, I really dropped the ball. I said, I apologize for my behavior. I apologize for my response. I said, I did not clothe myself with humility. Now I'm not sure if she knew the context of what I was talking about, but I'd been in this passage this past week, I'd been thinking about it, thinking about how I was gonna teach it, and then I dropped the ball in my own life. How about you? Is there anything you need to apologize for to your spouse, to your fiance, to someone else? Have you been clothing yourself regularly in these these Christian virtues? Our second challenge from this text is to make allowance for others' faults. As we're told in verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Have you ever noticed that, that when we want that we want others to give us the benefit of the doubt concerning our motives for why we said or what we did, but it can be difficult for us in turn to give the other the benefit of the doubt. Have you ever noticed that? I like what one of our former presidents had to say about this when he said, too often we judge other groups by their worst examples while judging ourselves by our best intentions. The same can be true in our relationships and in our marriages. We can make judgments and be critical in our hearts toward the other, toward our spouse, and yet we want them to make allowances for our faults and make allowances for our our mistakes and what we say and what we do. We want them to give us the, the, the benefit of the doubt and trust that we have good intentions. Maybe for some of us, the most important thing that we need to take away from this message this morning is to realize that we've allowed, maybe for some of us, a critical negative attitude to take hold in our hearts and in our minds towards someone else. Possibly we've allowed our hearts and our minds and our eyes to to be clouded with all the past hurts and past offenses, and as a result, we won't allow ourselves to make allowances for the other. We can no longer see good qualities in them. This time last year, the doctors determined that over time, film or cataracts had developed in my eyes. And as a result, I wasn't able to see clearly, especially at night. Now, it became very evident to us, because to my wife and I, because one night we were driving home one evening from our son and daughter-in-law's home, and we were taking a country road home, and it was dark. and It was a country road, and there was a car coming the other direction, and they had lights on. And of course, it was night. They should have had their lights on. But I immediately pulled over to the curb, to the, the shoulder, and slowed down almost to a complete stop. And my wife said, why'd you do that? And I said, well, there were four four headlights coming at me. I couldn't tell where the car was. Now see, this, this film had covered my eyes so gradually, the cataracts, that, that I didn't recognize it for a long time. But then it became where I was having trouble, especially at night, seeing and seeing clearly. Aren't you glad you weren't driving me with me back then? Well, I think she made an appointment the next day for me to go to the optometrist and take a look at that, okay? And so later last year I had surgery on both eyes and had the cataracts removed. And by the way, it was amazing how beautiful the sunsets and sunrises are now. How beautiful the trees were last fall, you know, because I could see clearly. Over time I didn't realize how my vision had become clouded. My concern is sometimes in relationships the same thing can happen. Over time, we've allowed hurts and faults and and offenses of the other to begin to cloud our vision of that person. It's especially damaging when it's our husband or our wife. And because of that, now we can't even see the good in them because there's a cloud, there's a covering. Maybe for some of us, just like I needed physical surgery to remove the cloud from my eyes, maybe some of us need some spiritual surgery from God to remove that cloud so that we can begin to see and appreciate the other as God wants us to. Some of you might need to have new spiritual lenses to really recognize, as verse 13 says, to make allowances for the other so that you can eventually forgive them as God has forgiven you. Now, I'm not saying that this passage nor any of the passages we're looking at today are simply saying to sweep the dirt under the rug or to ignore the problems, to ignore the hurt, to ignore the past offenses that have occurred in the relationship. That's not the point. Yet we're told that the eventual goal is to forgive the past, to forgive the grievances. As one scholar described this text, Uh, They wrote, describing this passage in Colossians 3, the word translated forgive and forgave is not the usual New Testament term here. The original word for forgive in verse 13 stresses grace, unmerited blessing involved in Christ's sacrifice. And the scholar went ahead to write, the aggrieved person was to take the initiative as God took the initiative. So instead of simply nursing our grudges and rehearsing in our mind grievances of the past, we're taught by Jesus to take the initiative in seeking reconciliation with the other. As Jesus said, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. Is there someone in your life that you need to prayerfully go and point out their fault, prayerfully go and point out how they have offended you, how they have maybe had an offense toward you that's hurt you, It's caused some damage in your life. Maybe you need to prayerfully go and talk to them. Now, if you keep reading in that passage in Matthew 18 where Jesus talks about how to deal with these kind of problems, he says if the person won't listen to you, then go get another person to go with you so that there can be some additional help. And then if they won't listen to them, maybe even go to the church, the, the leaders of the church, and seek additional help. See, the goal is to truly seek reconciliation and forgiveness. Maybe there's someone even in the church that you need to do that with. If that's the case, I want to urge you to take Jesus at His Word and seek that reconciliation. Seek to have that heart of forgiveness so that you can be reconciled. Finally, we're told in relationships with each other, and specifically in marriage, we are to support each other in love. As this text reminds us in verse 14, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. One writer describing this passage pointed out that love is the belt that ties all these virtues together. In other words, love is what ties it all up, wraps it up together. As we keep reading in this chapter, the apostle applies this message of love specifically to the marriage relationship as he explains the important ways that a husband and a wife are to love one another. In verse 18, and I like how the message Bible reads here, it says, wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master, and he's talking about Christ, honoring God. Now we've talked before about this word submit, and I know that some have a reaction to it, but the word is a beautiful word, it's a beautiful Christian uh, attitude. The word submit means to yield to the other. In other words, to submit means you don't always have to get your way. Now sometimes there's a pushback from this teaching of submission, and I think especially sometimes from ladies because they've heard this passage taught in such a way that it it sounds like it's only a one-way submission. And yet, I think it's important as we look at a parallel Bible passage of this in Ephesians that this whole section describing husband-wife relationships is all Uh, prefaced with this phrase from Ephesians 5 verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. As a Christian man, I recognize that I am to be submissive to others. That's a Christian attitude. That's an attitude that I'm called upon by God to have, is submissive attitude of my heart toward others, to yield. That means that I'm to be submissive to leaders in the church, I'm to be submissive to others in the church, I'm to be submissive to my wife at times. That means I don't always get my way. Yet there is a specific mention for Christian women to remember that they won't always get their way as well in marriage. In his book, His Needs, Her Needs, a book that I've referred to often, it's a book written by Willard Harley, Jr. He's an author and Christian counselor. He's written a number of books about marriage, and he's, as a counselor, he's counseled thousands of couples through the year. And he points out the, the felt needs of men and women in marriage. And he points out from all of his research that one of the highest felt needs of most men is admiration. Understanding and appreciating the spouse more than anyone else. That's important for many men to, to feel understood and appreciated. And likewise, one of the highest felt needs of women typically is affection. Of having someone express love and having their husband express love in words, cards, gifts, hugs, kisses, and courtesies. Creating an environment that clearly and repeatedly expresses love. These are the felt needs that counselors have surfaced that husband and wives desire in the marriage. It's not surprising that God who created us and and knows our basic human needs inspired Bible writers 2,000 years ago to record this. So I again say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Why? Because a wife, it's important for her to feel loved. For the husband, it's important for him to feel respected. Wives, are you meeting one of your husband's greatest felt needs to be respected and admired? Husbands, are you meeting one of your wives' greatest felt needs to be loved and to be cherished? And finally, as we go back to our passage in Colossians, we read the last verse we're going to cover today, verse 19. And I love how the Message Bible reads, "Husbands." Go all out in love for your wives. The calling to be a Christian husband is the call to love your wife. My calling as a Christian husband is to call to love my wife as Jesus loves the church. Now, that's a high standard. What did Jesus do for the church? He died for it. He sacrificially gave of himself. And sometimes, guys, we have to admit that's tough for us. Are you going all out for your wife? Are you loving her, being sacrificial to meet her needs? Husbands and wives, are you clothing yourself with love toward one another? Are you clothing yourself with forgiveness toward each other as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus? One of the reasons that we conclude each service here at Southwest is communion is because all of our responsibilities as followers of Jesus, all of our relationships within marriage, within family, and within the body of Christ, all go back to our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we're reminded that we're called to love each other as God has loved us in Christ. God was willing to give us his best. He went all out he sent us his son and his son Jesus Christ came to this earth and he was willing to go all out in his love for each of us as we observe communion let's be grateful that we serve a God who's gone to great measures to show us his love for us let's remember Jesus his son who came, lived and died, poured it all out for us and as we remember that and soak that kind of love in, let's ask ourselves are we loving others in a similar way. Think about your relationship with Jesus and your relationship with others and for those of you married be thinking about your relationship with your spouse do some examination as we observe this time of communion together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your incredible love, your amazing unconditional love that you've given us in Jesus. We're so thankful that in Christ you give us new life. We're so thankful that in Christ you forgive and forget the past. We're so grateful that in Christ you don't treat us as our sins deserve. And that Jesus was willing to die to take on our punishment on himself. Help us to remember that sacrifice and that love. But Father, during this time of communion as we examine our own response to you, also show us ways that we can show that kind of love to those around us. Speak to our hearts during this time. Teach us to be a people of love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Like to respond to today's message, today's worship, I want to encourage you to go to our app, quickly the icon that says Sunday feedback. Give us any feedback, anything that's stirring in your heart, anything that you'd like for us to pray about, any spiritual decision that you'd like to make. And next week, next Sunday, if you'd like to learn more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, what it means to enter into a committed relationship with this church, we're we have our starting point class. We're actually going to offer it during this hour uh, down the hallway, and we want to invite you, if you've never taken that class, to consider taking it next week. And remember, for those of you that are thinking about making a spiritual decision of some kind, if you need some encouragement, I'm going to just hang up here, up toward the front. You can meet with me, follow the service. But with that said, let's, let's stand if you're able, and let's sing one final song together before we go out and live a life of love this